Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great to have you back. Two episodes today. Uh, the other one is Little Donnie, a look at Mike Norton's great political comic strip that uh, took social media by storm, so much so that uh, one of the big newspaper syndicates got it and uh, is offering it digitally on their comic strip syndicate package. And uh, what a great thing. We uh, talked at his signing at Challengers Comics, and uh, it was fantastic. So if you haven't checked it out, do so. It's available today. Uh, It's part of, as is today's episode, our back-to-school session that we're calling Word Balloon 101. That's right. I'm uh, going through the hallways right now. Man, I hope nobody notices. I got a new zit, and my locker combination isn't working. And uh, does anyone know where uh, Psych 101 is? Anyone? All right. I guess I'll find it myself. While I'm ambling through the hallways, I'll tell you about today's episode. Uh, We've done a lot of uh, panels at Terrificon last weekend, and they were incredible. And they've got that lecture hall sound to them. So I thought, well, you know, it's back to school season. Why not uh, package it all as Word Balloon 101? So in the weeks ahead, you're going to hear great conversations uh, and discussions about the psychology of Wolverine. That's why I'm looking for that Psych 101 class. Uh, Superman's 80th anniversary, a look at the history of Robin through the uh, creators who did it, Uh, a look at the Infinity Gauntlet with uh, Jim Starlin and Ron Lim and Joe Rubenstein talking about the original story that inspired Avengers Infinity War. We have a great Black Panther panel with Don McGregor, Christopher Priest, Afua Richardson, and Bob Allman all talking about their experiences uh, dealing with T'Challa and the uh, Black Panther uh, explosion that's happened this year. What a positive thing. And, you know, these are the comic book creators that uh, really uh, created the foundation for the film. Great discussion there. A discussion about Marvel Cosmic happening with Jim Starlin and Roy Thomas. Uh, There's so many great conversations, and they're going to be uh, coming up each day, or I should say weekly, here at Word Balloon. So I hope you'll enjoy it. And uh, like I said, it seems like a good... uh, discussion for back to school season word balloon 101 today the subject is current events and it's a marvel today panel with uh, cb sabolsky the first time cb has ever been on word balloon i'm so glad to finally get him he was always globe trotting when he was the uh, talent coordinator running around trying to find new artists for marvel all over the world i'm in china i can't talk to you i'm in italy i can't talk to you well thank god now he's uh, back on the east coast and i got him to sit down at this convention and talk to us in the audience about what's happening at Marvel today, but we also have two great writers with him. Nick Spencer, who has taken over on Amazing Spider-Man and is doing amazing things. New issue came out this week. And Charles Soule, who's just been doing a wonderful job on Daredevil, his Star Wars books as well, The Inhumans, all great stuff. And uh, they are here to answer my questions and also the audience's questions in this panel about uh, what's going on at Marvel today. So C.B. Sobolski, Charles Soule, and Nick Spencer all on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League. Through your support via Patreon at patreon.com slash wordballoon, or you can go to wordballoon.com and uh, click on the Patreon ad. Uh, is Word Balloon worth a dollar a month to you? Is it worth the price of a comic book? a month to you if it is and uh, you've got the money if you could subscribe to word balloon you'd be helping me out greatly you're helping me get to the conventions you're helping me uh, keep the equipment uh, pristine and uh you know it's uh making it a lot easier to connect with these creators and give you some of the great content i've been giving you every month here at word balloon little secret last uh, episode the mike norton episode that was word balloon 800 how about that? We've uh, crossed the 800 threshold. Actually, it's more than that because uh, it goes back to my original feed from 2005 to September 2006. That's when I switched over to the current feed, and uh, Ed Brubaker was one of our first uh, guests on the new feed. But uh, that's okay. That was about 50 or so episodes. I never keep the, the full count, and I'm happy to count from one there. But I will always say that Word Balloon started back in May of 2005 because it's true. But anyway... If you like Word Balloon and you can help out the cause by uh, subscribing, uh, it, 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 it will help me greatly uh, and, and help me continue to expand Word Balloon. Uh, I've got video now that I'm trying to do when it's appropriate. Our first Twitch video went up with the Mike Norton interview, and uh, I think it's been a success so far. Uh, check that out on the uh, Mike post here at wordballoon.com. But if you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon, you can click on the Patreon ad at pa- uh, right there on the front page of wordballoon.com. Or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Thanks, as always, for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners.
Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. I'm looking at some of the great Charles Soule Marvel product that's available at InStock Trades. There's all of his stuff, uh, like his Oni Press stuff, Letter 44, his previous DC work on things like Swamp Thing, uh, and uh, the Villains Omnibus. But we're here to talk about Marvel. So let's reach back for some great Marvel Charles Soule product at InStockTrades.com. You can get things like the She-Hulk Volume 1, Law and Disorder, a great run with Jennifer in the hands of a capable lawyer, as we'll hear about his conversation uh, talking about Daredevil. But this first volume of She-Hulk is available for $9.27. You can also get Thunderbolts, trade paperback volume four, No Mercy. Great volume there. It is $11.59. His first volume of Inhumans, Genesis, is uh, $10.43. And those are just some of the great Charles Show uh, books that you'll find at InStockTrades.com. Don't take my word for it. Go to the website. You'll find great books at great prices. Your orders of $50 or more receive free shipping from our friends at InStockTrades.com. All right, let's take you back to last weekend, Terrificon at Mohegan Sun. Unbelievable panels. I was privileged to do eight of these panels. You're going to hear them, as I say, in the weeks ahead. The uh, Word Balloon League of Word Balloon listeners at Patreon are going to hear them first. Uh, and, uh, you know, the exception actually is today's episode, Marvel Today. Um, I didn't put it on my Patreon page because I knew it would be one of the first episodes that I release for this package of Word Balloon 101. So uh, let's all uh, file in and take our seats for this course of uh, current events in the Marvel fashion. We've got Nick Spencer, Charles Soule, and Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sobolski talking about today's Marvel and fielding questions from the audience, I mean students. Uh, let's get into it now on Word Balloon. Welcome, everybody. I'm uh, very happy to be doing the What's Happening Now at Marvel Comics. And uh, seriously, I love all three of these guys. And I'm not just saying that. John Suntress, I host a podcast called Word Balloon. And uh, really excited to have these guys back in the cases of two of our writers. Of course, uh, all the way at uh, the back there. Wonderful work on the Inhumans. Currently kicking ass on Daredevil. Charles Soule, everybody. Another guy, controversial run on Captain America. I loved it. And now kicking ass on Spider-Man, the great Nick Spencer. And really excited to finally have, even just on a panel, but you'll be on the podcast, so finally, Editor-in-Chief of Marvel Comics, C.B. Sabolsky, everybody. So this is a really great opportunity to, to talk to these guys and uh, you know hear about what's going on in Marvel. Marvel CB, um, you you just taken over recently as editor in chief. Um, controversial last couple of years at, at Marvel, and I'm interested in what your thesis or whatever you know. What is your what is your goal now as, as editor in chief? You know, a, a lot of people have asked me that question since I took over. You know, it's just you know every editor-in-chief has the different agendas or different goals or different motives or different ways that they drive the, the, the creative business for, for Marvel forward. And when I came in, it was kind of a, uh, a, a quick turnaround uh, for me. You know, I was living in, in China, and they asked me to come back, and it was an honor to even you know, be asked. And once I accepted the job, that was the first thing people asked me, what's you going to do? What are you going to do? What's, what's the goal? And I was like, you know what? And, and then in the first uh, creative retreat that we had, I said, I was like, I really don't have one. The goal for me is always talent first. It's, you know, let the creators, the writers, the artists, the pencilers, the cover artists, let everybody do their best work first and foremost. And, uh, you know, everyone that works at Marvel, you know, from these guys to the editorial team are fans at heart. And we've all had stories in our heads since we were kids about what we would want to do, what we would do if we took over, you know, Spider-Man or Daredevil. And it's like, if the fans inside of us shine through to the fans who are reading the books, then we've done our job. And that's the most important thing, is to make Marvel a fan-friendly company. Excellent. In every iteration of Marvel, absolutely, applause for that. If you want, I heard one guy was applauding. There we go. Smattering of applause, absolutely. What I've loved is I've, I've been doing this podcast for 14 years now, and, and what has been great to learn is, as CB mentions, the creative retreats, where the, where the creators really do get together and, and talk story and really kind of do it. Describe that for us, CB. What kind of what kind of atmosphere is it at the Marvel retreats? 
<laughs> I mean, exactly. Every, yeah. every atmosphere is different depending on who's in, in the room. You know, we've been doing these for as long as I've been at Marvel, and they've been going back even longer. You know, I was talking to Jeff Loeb recently, and he was telling me about the original Age of Apocalypse uh, Creative Retreat 25 years ago when they went to Terrytown, New York and rented a hotel and they had all the artists and writers in. And every every retreat kind of takes on a life of its own depending on what we're talking about and where it, it goes. But you know, first and foremost, we try to have um, no egos and also uh, no agendas, really. It's it's the guys come in, they kind of pitch their stories, and then it's everybody in else room can comment, good or bad, you know? Everybody takes some, some lumps here and there, but some really positive stuff comes out of it because we are just all this one creative hive mind that's trying to push out the best comics uh, for the, the Marvel line. We work about, what, 12 months to 18 months out sometimes, you know? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, guys, Nick and uh, Charles, tell me about, as, as writers, um, and whether they involved your stories, and I don't want any spoilers or, you know, embarrass anybody, but really, because I've heard how crazy, in a great creative way, uh, some of these Marvel retreats go. The one story that I know that you guys weren't at, CB, I don't know if you were there, but when um, in uh, World War Hulk, when uh, the Hulk crushed Doctor Strange's hands, so he couldn't, you know, manifest spells anymore, well, who's going to be the new Sorcerer Supreme? And that was this awesome, as I understood it for the people that were there, Dan Slott, Brian Bendis, this great heated discussion of, well, it's got to be, you know, Doctor, you know, Brother Voodoo. It can't be Brother Voodoo. And just throwing back and forth. So, yeah, I don't, you know, CB, am I, am I saying it right? Were you there? That's right. You know, and the other thing about that retreat is that, uh, I think it was the one before that, it's, it's how these things can get turned on their head. We went to a retreat where we were going in to talk about World War Hulk and what was going to happen. And everything was moving forward. And on the last day, it was Mark Miller who threw out some wacky ideas for Civil War. <laughs> and we said, oh my god, you know what? It would work better if we kind of switched those stories. So just in a matter of minutes, World War Hulk got delayed a whole year so we could do Civil War first. So that's the kind of things that happen here. And yeah, that's why I say, you know, we go in with a general plan, but not knowing what's gonna, gonna come out of it. And yes, yeah, Civil War, I'm glad you brought that up because I also remember you mentioned Jeff Lowe, that yeah, it started, it started with Mark and Bendis in a cab, and like, yeah, I don't know, I'm not feeling it or whatever. Civil War happens, and Lowe's like, whose side are you on? Yeah. And that became kind of the tagline for, for the event and everything, so. Yeah. But Nick and uh, Charles, your, your uh, retreat stories? <coughs> I mean, they're, they're usually, they're, they run three days most of the time, and, and the, the, first, the first day is, and I'm just talking about the way things feel, right? Because you're in a room with uh, some of the, the most brilliant writers and, and sometimes artists that, if, that you've ever, you know, you're, you're fans of everyone that you're in the room with, and hopefully they, they like you too. Uh, and, and so the, there's a lot of pressure to, to feel like, at least when I do it, you know, to feel like I, I should be there, right? Like that I am to earn my keep, and you know, idea-wise. Um, but the first day is kind of when when everything gets laid out, and you, you find out what we're going to be talking about. And then the second day is when you really kind of hash through whatever you're supposed to be talking about. Then and then a CD sort of mentioned the third day is when almost everything you talked about the previous two days gets thrown out the window, and then and then it really gets to happen. So you, you need you need 48 hours of, of just running through the mill of ideas before the really, the really good stuff tends to pop. And I, I've been to a, a bunch of them, and that, that I would say, is how they, they usually work, but not always, not always. Nick? Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of stories, I always think about my first one, because um, I had been at Marvel for a while, but I had been to a retreat, and I was taking over Captain America, and I had already uh, talked to, 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 to Tom and Axel about uh, the Calvary reveal. Uh, so they invited me to my first one, and I, you know, like, okay, I'll be here for a day, you know, feel things out, see how this goes, and see how everybody does it, and then I'll, I'll pitch my stuff. And I look at the agenda, and it's like 9 a.m. on the Monday or whatever, and I'm the first thing on the agenda. <laughs> so, uh, so I was just like, okay, you know, uh, I don't know how you guys usually do this, but um, and and had to lay out, you know, the entire. Uh, story from you know Hell Hydra up to what would become Secret Empire. So, um, so that was a pretty daunting, intimidating moment. But it, you know, it seemed to go okay. Yeah, the, the mornings of the retreat are often a little tense because sometimes the real work at the retreats happens after the retreats, uh, at the dinners or at the bars after. Sure. And you know, 
tongues get a little bit looser, ideas get a little bit freer, things get a little bit crazier, and then you know people will come in the next morning and go, hey, we had this idea last night. <laughs> it sounded great at the in the evening sometimes, but sometimes it carries over, and sometimes you go, what were you thinking? That's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. <laughs> well, I want to honestly, this is a great opportunity to really get into some of the creative heads, and I'm certainly going to talk to these guys about uh, you know what they're doing now. Nick, obviously, uh, just getting started with his Spider-Man run. Charles doing excellent work on Daredevil, um, but you know if if you guys have some initial questions, I'd like to I'd like to throw it open, sir. Yeah, CB, I'm uh, I'm super excited about uh, Dan Slott on uh, FF. And yeah. I know FF was in a difficult period for a while, uh, with those characters being sort of scattered and the, and the book not being published for the first time in 50 whatever years. So, can you talk a little bit about uh, what the importance of is that you know the original flagship title? is to, to Marvel uh, as you see it as editor-in-chief and sort of what support you and, and the rest of the gang have for, for Dan and, and company going forward. Yeah, you know, I'm a huge Fantastic Four fan. You know, it was one of the, the first books that I'm, I was reading when I was growing up. You know, X-Men first, FF second for me. And, uh, you know, after Secret Wars, like you said, the characters were scattered. They had kind of their own stories. Uh, you know, they were appearing in different books, you know, in different places, but they were never, never together as a team. And then, you know, uh, when I came back, one of the first things I wanted to do was, you know, talk to Tom Brevoort and said, we have to bring the FF back, which was music to Tom's ears because that's Tom's favorite book. And, uh, you know, the, the creative team was, you know, who are we going to put on that book? And Tom said, you know, well, Dan's coming off of Spider-Man, and it was kind of right time, right place, you know? And that's, that's another reason that we felt comfortable bringing the book back at the time, because Dan came in, sat down at, at a lunch, and pitched us a two-year story, really 24 issues, 12 that he had worked out in his head, literally from page one to page 20 for every issue, and then a, a looser second year, and we just sat there, and we're just like, this is the story. This is, this is the family. And, and I think that's the important thing, too, is, is that, you know, the Fantastic Four, a lot of people always tend to focus on the fantastic of it all. You know, they are the, the explorers. You know, Reed takes the, the, the team and puts them on these crazy adventures, just like what Reed and Sue have been on for the last few years on their own. But sometimes, uh, you know, uh, people tend to forget that they are the first family as well. It's that family dynamic that really makes them special and that really cemented them in, the, in the, the hearts and minds of fans from their first appearance. And that's what the things that Dan really nailed was the family aspect of this. It's the emotions between Ben and, uh, and Johnny, you saw in the first issue, you know, he had Alicia in there. There's not gonna spoil anything for anyone who hasn't read the first issue. But, and then when, when Reed and Sue and the kids especially, with when Valeria and Franklin also do come back, that family aspect is going to be so for, for, uh, centered in the in the book. I think fans are going to really love it. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So the second row there. So throughout history, it's often been stated that every work of every work of literature has a message to tell. And coming in as editor as the editor in chief um, of Marvel Comics, which throughout. Its entire history has been such a strong vessel for political messages, for social commentary, or Black Panther portraying what Africa could have been like if slavery had not kind of invaded it. What do you feel uh, is the, or are the messages that Marvel would like to tell people now? You know, Marvel has always been, as Stan always says, uh, the world outside our window. This reflection of the modern times that we live in. And, you know, Marvel has never shied away from that. Like you say, for those examples, or, you know, around what happened with 9-11, even what we were doing in Secret Empire, the story that, that Nick told. And we're going to continue that tradition. Um, there is a couple of issues coming up, uh, a couple of comics recently that are going to reflect things that are going on in the real world. However, one of the things I want uh, to make sure is when we do tell these stories is that, I don't know how to, to put this in, in, in the right way, they still have to be entertainment. You know, if we want to see the real world, we could turn on CNN, we could turn on the TV, we could pick up a newspaper and see what's going on in there. And yes, uh, it's our responsibility as a comic book publisher, especially Marvel, given how the, the history that we have, as you say, to reflect those times, but they still have to be fun. They still have to be fiction, and they still have to be escapism. We can't get too deep into the politics, and the characters can take sides, choose sides, or, you know, uh, you know, become bad, turn you know, evil, turn turn back to good. But they still have to entertain, and that's first and foremost. What, no, no matter what real world events we are going to reflect, they are going to be fictionalized, and they are going to have uh, the, the Marvel, the classic spin that Stan always brought to them. They will be serious, but they'll also make people smile. Cool, sure. Um, to 
feasible questionnaire, uh, CB. Um, I'm a big X-Men fan. That's kind of where I started the comics in my introduction, primarily as a kid. Same here. Um, Burn Claremont. There you go. Mm -hmm. And so, <laughs> recent news, of course, is that he was a meeting with John Byrne, and that it was pretty big, of course. Um, is that going to lead to something? Claremont's still under contract with Marvel, but he hasn't really done anything. Um, Uncanny is being relaunched in, I believe, November. I know that the artist team was just announced. It's supposed to be like a 10 week issue, I believe, what I read. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's right or wrong. The internet, of course. Um, and Gold and Blue are about to end soon. So, could you talk a little bit about the future of the X Men world? Uh, maybe what is in store, good or bad, Claremont Burn, or some of these legends, if there's a return? Sure, I can't speak too much to the specifics of anything really without giving too much away, you know? And, um, you know, Cullen and Mark Guggenheim. Uh, you know, what Charles was doing on Astonishing, what Matt Roseberg is doing on Astonishing now, what Tom Taylor's doing on X-Men Red, the X-Men books are in a really good place. And uh, with Uncanny uh, coming back in November, we have a lot of fun stuff planned. I think the fans are going to be really happy because any X-Men that you've ever liked or not liked will be in that story. Um, you know, I'm a big Danny Moonstar fan. <laughs> She's my favorite character. And I made sure that, you know, she'll have her, her time and place in, in the X-Men going forward. Um, as for the two specific guys you're asking about, uh, with Chris, yes, we will be seeing more from Chris in the X-Men universe in the near future. Um, you know, I, like I said, I grew up on those stories. I love Chris, uh, and he has uh, a lot of things he still wants to say with those characters, and we are going to let him tell more tales uh, very soon. As for John, um, <clears throat> I did have a wonderful uh, breakfast with John. I've been a fan. I geeked out for a while, and remember I told him how we met 22 years ago at Mid-Ohio Comic Con. I still own some, uh, some burnt original art that uh, I have hanging on my wall, and he was, you know, surprised to hear, so I'm not that big a fan. And the meeting with John was casual. He is doing that great X-Men stuff online now. Uh, we did have a brief chat about that. Um, you know, we will be following up on some things. Uh, when I took over as editor-in-chief, I made a wish list. John Byrne's name was the first name on that list. It would be wonderful for me to have him back, but you know, with John, we are slowly gonna start rebuilding that trust between him and with Marvel, and hopefully in the future we will see something, but I can't you know, say now when or what that will be. Now you say wish list, that means there might be other creators. Oh, there are a lot of other creators. That's, that's, and honestly, yep. that's, that's great to hear. And yep. again, with every regime change, there is a new opportunity yep. to reconnect with these people. Yep. And yeah, bring them back in the fold if it's possible. You know, next year we announced uh, recently that next year we're going to be, is Marvel's 80th anniversary. And we yep. have a lot of cool stuff planned. And part of what I really want to do is get a lot of the creators who worked in some of those books from those decades back and have them to be contributing some kind of story to the Marvel mythos again. Because the way to drive forward the future, we can't. Uh, you know, forget our past. And those guys really built some of the blocks that we as, as, as editors and as creators still stand on. And you know, having them come back and be able to tribute again would be wonderful and that would be the best way to honor the Marvel anniversary, I feel. <coughs> yeah. I may just add on to it. I, I was talking to my local comic book store, one of the owners is actually here today. Which shop? Uh, Hall of Comics. And so, yeah, okay. um, one of the owners is here today. and. Um, and we were talking just this week and how we loved Marvel Comics Presents and how so many wonderful legends worked on this series. Oh yeah. And it would be tremendous if Marvel relaunched an anthology, whether it's that or something else, and it could be anchored with some legends of the past, some of the young guns of the present, and just showcase different characters, different talents, and just Sounds like your comic shop owner got a peek at our 2019 publishing plan. Woo! <laughs> we'll, we'll wait and see. I think you'll be happy. <laughs> That's excellent. Hey. Sir. This kind of thing more predictable. The Spider-Man uh, books, you know, amazing and spectacular. Maybe some lesser extent than Riley. Do you see them doing a storyline together in the future or linking up in the continuity? Or do you see them as just kind of set what you should be doing? Uh, I think right now we're, we're, we're kind of on separate tracks, but you, you never know in the future. You do have Spider-Man coming up, uh, the Christmas Gage is doing, that's going to uh, connect a lot of the other Spider titles. Uh, so that's definitely something to check out if you want to see all the characters together. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're probably not too far off before they start colliding again. Excellent. Mitch? I was going to say, right? First of all, 
I made a mistake. I forgot to go get Mark Guggenheim and bring him out here, so don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I was putting the panel together. I said, oh, I'll get all the Marvel guys. I'm sitting there going, yeah. Don't tell me. <laughs> but he's a great guy. Mark's wonderful. Yeah, he doesn't listen to my podcast, so don't worry. He won't. He won't. Right, forget it. First off, thank you guys for coming. It might be the only chance I get to see you. So the whole week, I'm like, oh, God, there's Thanks for having me. All right. Serious question, though, other than doing my left off the list. Uh, old timers like me, 52, that's old. Read the comics. All day long, all we talk about, most of the folks here, Marvel premiere, 3D man, the Liberty Legion, all that stuff that I love the Liberty Legion. Knows, mm -hmm. I did like it. It's true. <laughs> you guys were younger than me, which I never thought I'd say that in my life, but I just did. That's scary. Do you sit there and go, okay, Grandpa, I'm not writing Caleb <laughs> Hammer, the Western that was in Marvel premiere issue 43. Anyway. <laughs> the same thing's probably true for you. You don't, you don't bring something back as an homage. You bring it back because you think there's something new and cool you can do with it. Yeah. Uh, and so it might work as a, an homage because you're certainly being respectful of the previous version of the work, but, but when I choose something from the olden days, uh, it's because I, uh, I think I can do something cool with it now, and that's what the Mike Murdoch storyline is, and, and plenty of other stuff that we do. Yeah, I mean, like for me, the entirety of the, the Captain America Sam Wilson book is really uh, just a love letter to the Mark Grunbaum run, which I adored as a kid. Uh, so, you know, everything from, you know, uh, Cap Wolf and Diamondback <laughs> and the Service Society, like, like just, you know, bringing in everything because it, it also felt like a time when a Cap Wolf should be like that and should feel like that again. So, uh, yeah, I mean, part of our job is taking those concepts and those characters and introducing them to a new audience, making sure that, that, that you know, we're carrying on that tradition. So, you know, a huge part of what I do is, is going through and just, just digging through the back issues and, and, and finding stuff to mine. That's, that's part of the joy of the game. Opportunity. Yeah. You know, every character is somebody's favorite, no matter how old those characters are. And even, you know, younger creators these days remember characters from those times, finally from their dads or from their grandfathers, because there's a history that they've been told the stories about. And we're always looking to mine a lot of those characters. What can we do? What character's cool? What's, who's right for coming back? What character can speak in a different voice to a different generation? What impact did certain characters have on readers back then that can have a similar impact now? So we're always looking back through those archives. And Tom Brevoort, you know, he's got a brain, you know, that just holds all this information about Marvel. That when, anytime we need something, we can go to Tom and ask, and he could say, yeah, go look in, you know, War's Hell issue, whatever, for this character, or, you know, Marvel Comics Presents for, for this character, because we might need someone that fits. And a lot of times, the creators will come to us and say, hey, I was just reading this comic. I was talking to this fan, and I went back and looked for this character. What about bringing them back? So, you know, we would love to... to mind the Marvel history for older characters and bring them back just as much as we would, you know, to create new characters. So Pace Bop P is back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Heard it here first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, the big wheel, wasn't he in... Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go, absolutely. Yeah, Razorback. Yeah, exactly. Razorback. Razorback's around. Amazing Spider-Man number four comes up next week. It's got the Luger uh, and Mendel Strong. <laughs> 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 
Um, I'm, I, and actually, shame on me because I do want to hear what these guys are doing right now. And Nick, it's great to see you on Amazing Spider-Man proper after Superior Foes of Spider-Man. And, uh, and man, that was just entertaining as hell. And that's the thing. People, I'm really glad, Nick, because this is a great opportunity for you to remind people that you're a very funny writer as well as a good action writer and a very serious writer as well. So, you know, tell us what, what, what else is coming up in Spider-Man. Yeah, you know, it's, it, look, it's a surreal moment. I mean, I was, I was, uh, I can still remember the first time me and CB had dinner was like, uh, Kyrgyzstan, probably eight years ago yeah. at this point, and it was, uh, you know, you were uh, at top management at the time, and, and uh, you know, you asked, what do you, what do you want to do? And, and I think usually people uh, answer with like, you know, pitches that they think they could get greenlit, uh, and they are short, you know, so it's a lot of like, Cloak and Dagger and Fury are apparently the, the old standbys that everybody always pitches. And uh, I said, I, I wouldn't write Spider-Man. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's been my dream since the minute I signed here. So, and really, you know, for my whole life before that. So, um, to actually be doing it uh, is still a thing that I'm, I'm kicking myself about. Like, yesterday I did this uh, little interview and somebody, you know, just said, like, you know, so you're writing Amazing Spider-Man, and you know, I, it's just, I'm still pinching myself about that. Um, so, yeah, you know, and, and the response to the book so far has just been phenomenal. Um, you know, I'm so happy that you guys seem to like it. Um, and, you know, working with Ryan Otley is, is just a joy. So, uh, we've got two more issues here in this first arc, um, Back to Basics, and then uh, we're doing a fun uh, story with Boomerang and the bar with their name. Boomerang, if you don't know, is uh, currently uh, Peter's roommate. So they're uh, very kind of an awkward situation and it's only getting a little weirder. And then if we have any Black Hat fans, uh, she's going to play a major role in the book in the arc that follows that one. So, yeah, a lot of cool stuff coming. Excellent. Fantastic. I'll take a question and I want to hear what, what Charles has cooking, but go ahead, sir. I actually have a question for Nick Spencer. I was actually about, what do you think is better, Black Cat or MJ? <laughs> oh wow! You know, the thing is, the thing is, like, like what you're supposed to ask me is the inferior point, and I'm allowed to say Felicia. Um, uh, that's a tough one, and they were, and, and it's, it's an interesting question to ask. I would tell you, read like eight through ten, because we're going to get into that quite a bit, I think. Uh, not too much, but uh, I love uh, Felicia. She's one of my favorite characters. She was one of my favorite characters as a kid. In fact. Um, Superior Foes uh, was originally a black hat pitch. It was originally a black hat pitch that I sent to Joe Casada when I was in college. Uh, I sent uh, uh, I sent Joe three pitches. Uh, he was very kind to you know I was like 19 years old at the time and uh, he was he was very kind to let me let me shoot some ideas and I sent him three ideas. One was a ghostwriter idea, one was a Hulk idea, and one was a uh, black hat pitch. And, Hated the Hulk pitch and the Ghost Rider pitch, and, and he's like, you know, that Black Cat pitch, it's not bad. He's uh, like, yeah, but we're not looking for anything right now. Uh, so years later, to get to do that book in a weird kind of inverse um, was was really a, a throw for me. That's awesome. I love the fact that uh, Charles is a lawyer and first did uh, She-Hulk and did such a great job with her and now on, on Daredevil as well. Absolutely, man. Well, hand for She-Hulk, absolutely. Hell yeah. And Daredevil as well. And the great thing is, truly, I was like, I, one of the last times I had Charles on, I'm like, Charles, I'm not a big Inhumans guy. What are you, what are you doing with them? And then he tells me, and I'm like, oh my God, that sounds incredible. And I realized he totally like turned me around. So, uh, so Charles, tell us what's uh, beyond Mike Murdoch. What else is going on with you? Uh, well, Mike Murdoch is, is the focus of my creative life now. Fifty issues about Mike Murdoch. Um, I'm four. The, well, so, so I've been in Daredevil for a long time, and it's been an incredibly rewarding title. The, the Daredevil fans are some of the most devoted that I, I have encountered, and, and, and you know, Marvel fans are very devoted as it is, but the Daredevil fans are, are wonderful. Um, and it's been really neat to use my legal background in, in the story too, and then put in stories like the, in Supreme. I took him to the Supreme Court. Um, you know, he was in the DA's office in New York, and then and then Wilson just became mayor in the, in the Mayor Fisk arc. Uh, and then so I got to put Daredevil in City Hall too uh, as the deputy mayor. <laughs> so there's there's been a lot of a lot of fun things uh, that have been happening, uh, and, and we we got to build up the Daredevil 600, which was which was amazing. And, and so the sort of the first big chunk of my run had, had Ron Garney 
wonderful Ron Gary uh, as kind of the linchpin artist, uh, and just shifted over to, to the next main artist on the title, Phil Nova, who is unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, one issue out of 606 so far, we started Double Vision, which is the, the Mike Murdoch story, um, and then I think 607 is out next week, which continues that. So, so we're in the Mike Murdoch story now, that went for three issues, but then after that is, is, is the biggest arc, I think, probably, that I've done on Daredevil. Um, and I can't tell you what it's called, of course. Yeah, I wouldn't say probably. probably. I think it is. <laughs> I, so I, I can't tell you what it's called because if I tell you what it's called, you'll you'll know why. But just it's. I think we'll be able to we start talking about it pretty soon, and it's very uh, it's very exciting um, because it all kind of it all kind of builds to this. So so that is a thrill. The other the other huge project I'm working on for Marvel and Superhero World is, is all the Wolverine stuff. Um, yes, indeed. You may know that Wolverine died in 2014 uh, um, because Steve McMahon and I killed him. Um, and, and he's now he's now come back, or he's coming back. And coming so back. Stephen and, and I were asked to tell the story where he comes back, which is an amazing thing. Um, we've been doing kind of a, a prelude story building up to it called Hunt for Wolverine, which is most of the Marvel Universe kind of running around looking for his missing body, and then Return of Wolverine uh, in September 19th, uh, with Steve, Steve and I kind of coming back to tell the story of, of what he's doing now. And, and it's a very, um, it's a story that I think is very personal. You might have heard about his hot claws. That is, yeah, hot claws. Woo. Hot um, claws. Yes. They, uh, they they heat up sometimes. It's not it's not exactly like a new power. It's something. It's more of a side effect. Um, but it's a it's a it's a huge story. It's got a new villain named Persephone, who we'll be talking about more soon. She's very cool and very interesting. And 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 the book is about his return to life, but it's very much also about his death and how. You know, the superheroes come back to life all the time, and they never really, it's just sort of like, okay, now I'm back, let's have some adventures. And, and so I wanted to write a story where, like, he, he's kind of, like, reflective, and he's thinking about, you know, man, so, like, thinking about the life he left and how it was all, you know, there were some good moments, but there's also a lot of death and despair and, like, really tough moments for him. And now he's back, and now he's got, like, get on that horse again, just do that, he doesn't write a horse in a book. But, but he's got he's to start, he's just got to go back to that life again, and he has to decide and think about and find, find a reason to, to be Wolverine again, and that's really the core of Return of Wolverine, and I, I cannot wait for you guys to see it. I've been writing this story for, it feels like a year, uh, and I think it has been a year, and it's, it's really, it's really good. So, so that's Wolverine, and then I also do two books in the Star Wars line, Panama and Darth Vader, which are also and I wanted to get into Star Wars, absolutely. So let's let's start with CB, and then uh, you know, yeah, I want to hear what what is going on uh, from a writer standpoint for Star Wars. But yeah, I mean, uh, really, ever since Marvel got the license back, and Dark Horse, by the way, did a tremendous twenty year run with Star Wars, and that needs to be acknowledged because it was it was fantastic. Um, and then you know, Marvel gets the license back and and puts all of your your top creative people um, on, on the book CB, Charles and Jason and. Uh, everybody, good lord, and, and Phil Phil Noto did did some great work on Star Wars as well. Great artists, great writers. So yeah, what can what can you tell us about the Star Wars line? Yeah, I, I uh, always say when I was growing up, uh, I love three things: I love Disney, I love Marvel, and I love Star Wars. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, good luck, Stevie. So it's uh, it's pretty crazy. And then you know when when uh, when we became part of the Disney family, and then when Disney announced that they were also uh, you know going to be acquiring Lucasfilm. It was one thing that I knew that we always, as a company, should do. We would love to get the joint forces and make sure that we're on the same family again and bring the, the, the Star Wars books back to Marvel, which you know uh, everybody made happen, which we were thrilled with. And we knew that it was coming back. We had to go out and really just, like you said, put our best foot forward. You know, put the, uh, the Marvel's top creators on those books, and. Um, we did it, and it, the first issue of Star Wars sold a million copies. It was the first book, I forget what it was, in 15 years or something. That, Easily, that, that yes. Sales number. Yeah. And uh, the books have just been doing so phenomenally well. And, you know, we started with those core characters and expanded out. And, you know, everyone that's come on has been contributing to the actual continuity, the mythos of of uh, the Star Wars you know, universe. And then Lucasfilm has been wonderful in you know, giving us reign to really explore a lot of the corners that they haven't been able to touch on in the films or the animation TV shows, especially what Charles has been doing, we'll get to it in, in, in Poe Dameron. I mean, they've given yeah. you amazing creative license to really expand that character, yeah. uh, you know, from who's only been seen in two films so far. I mean, the, the, like, there's, been, there's been a million things that have been amazing about the Poe Dameron series, right? Uh, you know, Phil, Phil Noto and I launched it and we got to go out to Sky, uh, to Lucasfilm in San Francisco and then like, they sort of showed us episode seven ahead of time because we needed to start writing the series. And 
Um, but the way they showed it to us was kind of this mix of, of, of photographs and slideshows and like a, a guy in a room kind of telling us the story. So I had never heard Pomagram speak at all until, and I had written two scripts um, by the time I finally saw the movie in the theater when we all saw it. And uh, so like writing that guy before I heard him was a very interesting, interesting thing. But um, you know, from, from that all the way to the current arc, which is set after the Last Jedi. It's the only Star Wars storytelling in any of their mediums that's set after Last Jedi is the Bonamera comic, and and the idea that they let us do these things, and you know that that kind of stuff happens all through the Marvel comics line. Like they let us do incredible. You can't believe the stuff they let us do because they they trust us, I guess, as storytellers, and and we work very closely with them to make sure that that it's all it all just feels like Star Wars. So it's it's a real. I love the Star Wars stuff. Yeah. That's amazing, and honestly, a huge contrast to uh, the time period between Empire and Jedi, because uh, I, I've spoken to Walter Simonson about that period, and they would have a story idea, and Lucas, you know, films would be like, no, you can't do that. You know, you can't go there. So, uh, to the point, too, where I know they had one story where Luke and uh, Vader were going to approach each other, and it's like, oh, wait, no, you can't do that. They can't see each other. And maybe that was between the first film and Empire. But so they had to make it like a hologram of Vader or whatever to kind of you know, appease, appease Lucas films. But anyway, enough of me. Back to you guys with questions. It's been great. Well, if, uh, just yeah, please, one please. thing that's been awesome for us is in creating new characters and adding to the, the mythos, you know, with just like introducing Son of Solo and then Dr. Afra, which is, you know, great that they were letting us, giving us the freedom to do that. But now Afra's getting turned into her own action figure, yeah. which is that's that's insane. crazy as well. Absolutely. So yes, sir. Uh, gentleman in the back. Yes, sir. Um, two questions. Uh, for TV, how do you fit model rising into, how do, how do you do that for readers? Like, is it included as part of regular Marvel Universe? Is it something separate? Because the characters are going to play with their, how does that work? And then for Nick, are we going to see Teresa? So for question, yeah, Marvel Rising fits into continuity. The comic book series does. So you know, it's it's a larger uh, you know plan for us to kind of uh, bring in uh, more uh, female readers for a younger demographic. Um, you know, to get, kind of capture some of what uh, DC's been doing with their their girls line to bring some of the Marvel uh, female characters that are more accessible to to younger readers. Uh, and in uh, the animation in the animated series and some of the other things we're doing, that's going to be set on its own. But the comic series, the Marvel Rising series, out now does fully fit into to continuity with Kamala, with with Squirrel Girl, you know, with the, some of the new characters that we're introducing. And then next question. Yeah, and, uh, in terms of Teresa, I mean, I'm a huge fan of what she's been doing with the character, and I love, I love working with them generally. Uh, they don't know yet, but yeah, I've got some plans. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm trying to see. Go ahead, Mitchell. Hey, what's the chance Dan Slott writes the Indiana Jones comic? Yeah, what is going on? That's a really good. Honestly, ever since they got the license, I would like Dan Slott. And I believe that too. I think if and when the Indiana Jones, uh, you know, publishing plan comes together, and there's there's no plans for it now, so I don't want to get anyone anyone's hopes up. That we would have to just like move all the tables in the yeah. conference room and just like oh, I throw everybody in and let them yeah. all. <laughs> is is it a is it a legal thing? And then really, CB, I don't want to get into dirty business, but really, is there just you know for whatever reason? No, you know? no we we just really we're we're on a, a course with a lot of our publishing plans, and they have a plan for Indiana Jones, and you know. We're just not really haven't been really talk, talking about it okay. just yet. Because yeah, I just haven't, I haven't heard yeah you know Marvel people or Lucas people talk about that possibility. Right, I tell you because truth be told, there's a website called theRaider.net. That's me. The Indie Cast, which is a podcast for twelve years, twelve years talking about four movies. <laughs> we run out of stuff to talk. About. <laughs> <laughs> I'll notice on the feed. You got a TV show too. Young and, 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 and Absolutely. Uh, that's true. You want me to play all 320 episodes? No. Okay. <laughs> sure, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> no, because I see this little name pop up sometimes. Adrian's Bach. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> so he's like, Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones. And he likes stuff. And what did he do? He was here We'd be honored to publish Indiana Jones comics when and if Lucasfilm decides to expand that franchise. 
But right now, there's no plans and no talks. Before, before they recast him, I want Sean Patrick Flattery to get one Indiana Jones movie because he is Indiana Jones, and that totally legitimizes the TV show, I think, in another level. So there's my nerd moment. Sir. Uh, gentlemen, I'm a huge model fan. I'm very grateful for everything you've done. I am a huge fan of Spencer of Captain America story. Oh, thank I, you. I jumped out of really screaming yes when the other Captain America said, Came back to Wow, that's a question that takes some deep Yeah, good essay question there, man. Because there's so many, right? Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you know, like you can take small, like small character things that were just so formative. Uh, I mean, Jason Aaron's Thor really just immediately popped to mind as something that I think has been spectacular. Um, but all of like every Bendis's, like I mean, there's there's so many. It's hard to really. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's a that's a loaded question. You mean of, <laughs> of people that we worked with and like like. Yes, or fans of. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stan Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. I was going to say, if it's anybody, then, then you got to start Stan, obviously. you got to start Stan and Jack and Steve. Like, you, you know, you kind of got to, everything that we do emanates from what, what those guys did, really. So, um, you know, you have to start there. In terms of, you know, uh, people that, that, you know, I've gotten to, to, to work with myself, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge John Stephen fan. Huge fan of Jason Aaron's work, and, uh, you know, huge fan of Brian. Uh, you know, so uh, getting to be in a room with those guys and getting to talk story with those guys has been a huge honor for me. I've noticed Hickman in a few Marvel retreat photos that have popped up on social media. Something must be brewing. Yeah, you know, Jonathan's always welcome to go where Jonathan wants to go. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to the neighborhood, huh? All right. All right. Something's coming. We know something's coming. Miss, please. was a tremendous book that came out of Secret Wars and I don't understand why it wasn't continued. Yeah, and American Chavez. Sure. Awesome, and like a woman of color and amazing. We're we'll getting some queer women. Like, that would be awesome. There is a lot coming. Yeah. There is a lot coming. You will be very happy soon. I don't just say that lightly. I think, you know, the, the women of Marvel have been forefront of women of color since the beginning. Yeah. And I think that they have been the best women of color. The women of Marvel have been a bigger focus just uh, in a lot of the mainstream books, as you know, you know, uh, over half the editors at Marvel now are women, and they want to bring a lot of their experiences and their love of reading comics to the characters and the ones that they love and also creating new characters. Uh, West Coast Avengers uh, comes out next week, and I think that's a great place to start, written by Kelly Thompson, uh, edited by Alana Smith, has a, uh, you know, led, the team is led by Kate Bishop. Uh, what um, Devin Grayson has been doing on the Marvel Rising comic has, has been wonderful, and as part of the uh, uh, 80th anniversary, again, I don't want to get too much in it, but there will be an enormous focus on the women of Marvel with a title uh, called The Women of Marvel, uh, which will be uh, spotlighting a lot of different characters from Marvel's past, say from Millie the Model, all the way up to some of the newer characters. So, That's excellent. Yeah. Sir? Um, I was uh, also a big fan of Darkhawk when he came out in the 90s. <laughs> um, I know uh, you brought him back recently one issue and then the infinity before issue yep. which mm -hmm. I um, and you even did a little homage in issue 51 I think to the original creators Mike Manley and Danny Fenderon yep. a little mention in the two of them um, is there anything more coming to Darkhawk is there any chance that original creators could come back to Darkhawk Mike Manley and Fenderon could return to him you, you will be seeing a lot more of Darkhawk in the in the months to come, uh, but uh, there's no plans currently to talk. To, we haven't been talking to Danny or Mike. I don't even know if they have any interest in uh, in coming back. But you know, again, just like I was saying, a lot of the theme of this panel is you know looking back at the past, nothing but respect for their work and building upon it. I'm a huge Darkhawk fan. I had him in you know a book I wrote called The Loners back in the day, and you know, and, yeah. 
and that uh, you know he's spun off onto some 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 fun stuff uh, in the cosmic side. And you know, uh, you know, we're just always going to keep you know looking back to characters like that. You know, Sleepwalker yeah. is going to be coming back very soon too. So, first uh, first character Joe Casada ever drew for Marvel was Hilarious. Sleepwalker. Yeah, no, Jesus, no, that's yeah. insane. But he wouldn't do a very cover for me. <laughs> oh my God, sir. Uh, I think you're bringing back any chance of the original New Warriors lineup? The original New Warriors lineup. There is no other lineup. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Now, a lot of those characters are in different places now. Uh, you know, uh, you, you look back and, you know, they had a, a tremendous impact, Speedball, of course, on Civil War, but they're all in different places now, so currently there's no plans to really get that team back together. As which, which Night Thrasher is out there now? Is it, is it the, the, the brother? It's the brother. It's the brother, yeah, the brother. okay. So, Hilarious. But, um, you know, again, those characters, we love them, but just like, you know, with the FF, they're all in different places now. If they come back in the future, who knows? But it's just the, the right grader bringing in the right pitch. Did I hear right? What if is uh, coming back? Who's that? What if? Uh, we have some plans for what if. Oh, yeah, no, that has been announced. So, yeah, there's yeah, six. There's six, there's six. There's, I always no, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Tell you what I can't say. Yes. Uh, what if is coming back? There's going to be six new books uh, that are going to be launching, uh, I think it's in September. Okay. Uh, and it's, you know, it's going to be everything from fun stuff like, you know, what if Peter Parker became the Punisher? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, you know, uh, it's the X. Men, but it's going to be dot exe men, and it's a kind of a virtual story. So no, the the we got uh, the, the the I'm a huge What If fan. A lot of us grew up with What If. Yeah, straight. And, um, Absolutely. So the, the challenge that I, I posed to some of the the, uh, the younger editors was, what would you do with What If with this generation? You know, a lot of the creators who have done it before, uh, when I was editing it with when Bendis and Brubaker and Fraction, these guys did it. We were looking back on those fond stories that we love so fondly. But the, sure. now this What If teams are looking back with fresh eyes. And there are some uh, classic creators coming back as well, like uh, like Jerry Conway to, to oh, tell great. some stories. So, man, oh, excellent. Yeah. You know, and I, I just had, forgive the name dropping and, and the podcast plug, but I just had Roy Thomas on a few weeks ago, yeah. and we were talking about the original one. And I almost wondered if the original format being larger than a, a standard issue size allowed it, you know, the story to breathe. Because yeah. that was the one thing that I noticed with the newer versions of What If, was it's like, man, it's tough to tell a What If story in 22 pages. It, it really is, you and know? that's part of the challenge, though, which okay. is one sure. of the things that we, we task these guys with, tell a cool story with a beginning, middle, and end in just those 20 pages. Yeah, man. And 20 pages now, too. Yeah, yeah. woof. Exactly. Woof. All right, back to you guys. More questions? Sir? So, um, going back maybe five minutes to Star Wars, uh, post all the mergers of all my favorite companies at once. <laughs> I was just pure when I heard that everyone was getting together. Um, there was, and Fargo was dark, of course, Fargo was a bunch of times, there was this massive war bang of Star Wars stories. Everything from Dark Saber to um, even, even um, pre prequel books were published. I grew up reading these. They had like eight through 12 books, yeah. all the way to these massive Harry Potter side books. I was wondering, because that's a huge amount of source material, I was wondering if over at Marvel you have ever considered referencing or taking maybe some of what they had and adapting it to the newer lore. That's the point. Sure. So, so I, you know, I, I I've been able to write a lot of different Star Wars books uh, for Marvel, which has been a huge, just, just one of the greatest thrills of my career, right? So I decided Lando, I did, I'm doing Poe Dameron, Darth Vader, and I did number one Anakin book. And those books are set from, from the prequel era all the way through to post episode 8. So it's the entire timeline of, of current Star Wars. And so um, I've gotten to work a lot with the Lucasfilm Story Group, which is the, the group of, of creative executives over at Lucasfilm who are tasked with making sure that all of the storytelling across all of Star Wars right now is consistent. So a video game is not going to tell the same story as, as a comic. They're going to they're going to fit together like jigsaw piece puzzles. And so um, we they those are those people have, have Star Wars PhDs uh, and, and they they understand and know everything we talk about. They know the most bizarre, obscure action figure prototype lore things that were never really like crazy crazy things you can't believe they know and they know it all. And so. While when when Disney bought Star Wars and the decision was made to, to wipe everything away from the expanded universe, which is what you're talking about, and restart the canon, but for a very few, a select group of stories that George Lucas personally had a hand in, 
So it was like Clone Wars TV show, all of the movies, uh, you know, a couple other things. But they they loved a lot of that stuff too. And so whenever there's an opportunity to bring an element back, like the Dark Saber, the Dark Saber was a rebel, so that was brought back. Um, there are there are characters that have popped back in from this canon. Thrawn is a great example. Everybody wanted Thrawn back. Thrawn's back. He's in the current canon. Um, a smaller example uh, in Ponamrin, uh, there's there's a concept of ships in uh, like after the rebellion uh, ended, um, there was all this like like broken up X-wings and Tie fighters and Adats and stuff floating around the, the galaxy, and, and smugglers and pirates would take pieces of those ships and sort of wire them together into new ships, and those were called buddies. Um, because you might have like an ad head on, a, on an X-wing body, whatever, and and I needed a big smuggler space army, and they were like, why don't you bring Uglies back? That's a cool idea. So so Uglies pop up in the Bodhamer comic, and so what I'm getting at in a long-winded way is that they're completely open to bringing ideas back and concepts back, and even even to to a small degree storylines back from from the from the expanded universe. So it just has to fit in with what the stories are that are being told, and and. You know, I know you'll see more. There's more stuff that, that will pop up, little, little bits and pieces. So those stories are kind of, they're, they're not gone. You just don't know which pieces will come into the current story. Sure. Well, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, so what about a lot of like, great talent right now? I was wondering, from the perspective of editor-in-chief, and um, like, how do you find new talent? And from the perspective of uh, Charles and Nick, like, how do you guys recognize? And that's a good guy to ask because obviously before his capacity as editor in chief, CB was tr literally glow trying, search searching for uh, new art talent. Yeah, you know, so you know, I, I was the, the talent manager and the town scout for Marvel for almost a decade, and uh, you know, it's 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 hard to say. Uh, we, we break it down between writers and artists, and it's a lot more difficult. And these guys can speak to it a little bit better for a writer to get in uh, because it's a little bit harder to get noticed because for a writer to get in. Uh, we always say, you know, it's kind of like the don't call us, we'll call you. You have to have work published elsewhere before uh, Marvel will take a look at it. And that's not just comics, but it could be screenplays or novels or, you know, uh, even, you know, articles that you've had posted on blogs or things like that to show that you have the, 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 right, the right storytelling sense. You can put words together and entertain uh, people. But the reason it's a little more difficult for writers is because I can look at an artist's portfolio and know within the first three or four pages if that person's good enough to be working for us and offer creative uh, criticism. Uh, with a writer, you have to sit down and actually read a book or a novel, um, or I mean, or a comic, or you know, invest the time, uh, a longer amount of time, in finding out if that person has the ability that it takes. So, with writers, we always say, you know, get comics published elsewhere first, send them to us, make a name for yourself, and then come in to we'll, we'll find you. Uh, but with artists, it's just it's just very easy. Marvel has an open submission po policy for artists. We have an active talent management team now that goes out to different shows and looks for people. And anyone that has a uh, comic art that they want to submit is able to submit readily anytime for uh, to Marvel. Um, I should also say that the other part, harder part of uh, being a writer is that there are legalities involved. There's paperwork you have to sign because of just you know intellectual property and the safeguards that we have to put into place to make sure that your ideas remain your ideas and Marvel's characters remain our characters. Uh, so that's kind of where uh, the, uh, the lines are drawn. But if you are uh, you know, a writer, these guys can talk about how they got their kind of start and you know, got, got noticed by Marvel. Uh, that's really the big part of it. But for anybody, for any comics, is developing a fan base first. And sometimes it's word of mouth online and through other creators. And with artists, it's just you're free to submit any time. It's just submissions at marvel.com. Or our talent manager is Ricky Purdin. It's R-P-U-R-D-I-N at marvel.com. You're free to submit your artwork at any point. Yeah, guys, would you talk about what you were doing before you went to Marvel? I know, because I was talking about Yeah, that. yeah. I, you know, uh, I always say that I think they hired me because I did it the way that they said to do it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I started, I did some books in Image, uh, and uh, uh, thankfully there's, you know, caught the attention of uh, some editors at Marvel and DC, and first I did a little bit at DC, but, um, you know, pretty quickly I was talking to the folks at Marvel, and uh, we were off the races from there. So yeah, you know, I mean, for a writer, it really is that simple. It's, it's, you know, get your books published someplace else, um, and then, you know, uh, try to build a reputation for yourself, and, and try to get the audience excited about those books, and the rest will follow. Yeah, I, I would also say that uh, it is about getting your works out 
earlier, work, you know, your own stories up. But there's also, it's extremely important to have like a network of fellow creators at your level because they can they can give you tips and tricks on things that, that work for them, feedback on your stories, uh, things that people several rungs up the ladder won't have time or inclination to do. So, so find people who are also trying to get in. And the internet is phenomenal for that. It's been phenomenal for that for a long time. I mean, Nick and I actually came up sort of, you got, you were a little heavy, but um, there was there, Brian Bendis had, had a message board called Bendis Board, and it had a lot of prominent, currently prominent writers and, and artists on it. Like Hickman was on it, Nick was on it, I was on it. And so we all talked to each other, uh, and, and we were able to exchange ideas about how we might write it, how we might get stories made, how how we find an artist, what do you pay an artist, all of those things. And and you start kind of, you know, you want to help each other because of your network. And I don't know if you remember this this happened, Nick, but I my first image book happened because it was at C2E2 years ago, and I had a pitch, and Nick handed it to Jim Valentino, who was who runs a, an imprint of image called Chatterline, and and it was Nick's like imprimatur, like his willingness to say that this is something worth taking time on, Jim, which is which is why Jim Valentino did do that. And that wouldn't happen if I, you know, we hadn't been spending years together sort of, you know, bullshitting on the men's boards. And so, you know, I, I think that, that network is just as important as the, the work itself, because if you don't have people who are willing to put it in other people's hands, it's not gonna Another Bettisport guy, uh, Joe Henderson, who was the showrunner of Lucifer and just got greenlit for a fourth season. I, as a member of the Bettisport as well, I remember these guys when they were aspiring writers as well. It's been a pleasure to watch them evolve and get to the point in their careers now. And I know the sky's the limit for, for all three of these men, so I, I agree. We've got time for one last question. And Miss, please. As a, I'm a teacher, and a lot of my students look up to the superheroes that they that they see. Do you have, have any plans for all like books for younger kids to be able to introduce them to your characters? Yeah, you know, um, Marvel is a company where we want to make sure our comics are accessible for readers of all ages. And to, to your point about the kids looking up to the heroes, we really do strive when we create these heroes and tell these stories to make sure that they're inspirational and aspirational, you know. And uh, we do have uh, a bunch of plans coming up. We do have a line called the Marvel Superhero Adventures, uh, which is directed to, more towards uh, young, younger readers. What, what age do you teach? Okay, my sister is the same dad. It was in Fairfield, Connecticut. Um, and, uh, you know, I think though these books, the Marvel Superhero Adventures books, would be a wonderful starting place for, for them because these are our, our stories that are told with a, a younger readership in mind and drive home core values. Each issue is centered around some kind of theme or plot to be specifically educational to uh, kids to, t to teach them through the superheroes, to make them learn not knowing that they are learning, <laughs> which is the key, as, as I'm, I'm sure you know. And uh, we do have more plans coming up to expand that line and, and start a, new, a couple of new initiatives. Uh, we're also going to be publishing a line of younger readers' books uh, with our friends at IDW. Uh, like we do the Star Wars books, uh, the mainstream core Star Wars books, and IDW does a line called uh, the Star Wars Adventures for Younger Readers. And we're going to be doing the same thing with the Marvel books, where they're going to be taking Spider-Man, Black Panther, and the Avengers and telling uh, stories more based for uh, a younger demographic. So we will be seeing a little more of those uh, books and lines come to fruition very soon. And thank you for using heroes to teach your children. <laughs> Emotions, yeah. Looking at the different characters. yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, honestly, I'm really happy that the creative uh, direction of Marvel is in the hands of these guys and the other artists and writers that represent today's Marvel. I think uh, we're, it's, it's an interesting transition, and I see nothing but opportunity. And based on what we've heard today, I think you will all agree. So thank you very much, guys, for your uh, you, contributions, and thank you for your attention today. Thank you, John, for being such a wonderful moderator. That was great. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, class dismissed. I hope you enjoyed today's Marvel Today panel on Word Balloon 101. More episodes in this fashion will be coming in the days ahead. We've got great stuff. And if you're a patron of Word Balloon and support me via patreon.com slash Word Balloon, uh, you can get some advanced courses that are posted right now. Things like The Psychology of Wolverine, a discussion with Roy Thomas, and Dr. Susanna Flores. Tremendous conversation. Also, the Black Panther panel, featuring Don McGregor, Christopher Priest, Afua Richardson, and Bob Almond, and 
a really fun panel, the DC romance comics of the 1960s, a conversation with Paul Kupperberg and Barbara Freelander, who was the editor of the DC romance line from uh, the mid-60s to the late-60s. And uh, honestly, great behind-the-scenes DC conversations, and uh, I really enjoyed this discussion. All three of those are available now, advanced courses for the League of Word Balloon listeners, the subscribers of Word Balloon, via Patreon. If you'd like, you can uh, become one of those people for as little as a, a dollar a month. I will be posting all the other uh, classes that uh, we're doing during Word Balloon 101 uh, in advance for uh, my patrons. But uh, eventually they'll also be on the podcast too. But if you want as a uh, thank you to the League of Word Balloon listeners, I'm giving them an, an advanced look. And they can get ahead of the course load uh, by uh, cramming uh, those episodes as well. But thank you very much for your support. If you'd like to join them, you can subscribe to Word Balloon at patreon.com slash wordballoon or go to wordballoon.com, click on the Patreon ad, it'll take you to my Patreon page. Thank you truly for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. We mentioned uh, Great Charles Soul product in the previous segment. Let's talk about some Nick Spencer books available at InStock Trades. We can go back to Nick's run on War Machine, Rhodey's Adventures, Iron Man 2.0, Volume 1, Palmer Adley is Dead. It's 42% off, $9.89. You can also get Ultimate Comics, Spider-Man, Doom Fallout, the premier hardcover featuring a lot of writers, including Brian Bendis, John Hickman, and Nick Spencer. It is 42% off, $14.49. There's also Nick's run with Colin Bunn on uh, Fear Itself Secret Adventures. Uh, That collection is $14.49. There's also Ultimate Comics X-Men by Nick Spencer with Paco Medina doing the art, also $14.49. There's the first volume of Secret Adventures featuring Nick's work with Luke Ross. Uh, That's called, uh, it's 42% off, just $10.43. There's also the Superior Foes of Spider-Man. Great stuff from Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber. Volume 2 is called Crime Century. It's 42% off, $9.85. Lots of Nick Spencer stuff available for you at InStockTrades.com. Don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. You will find amazing books at great prices at InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. We got great stuff coming up in the days ahead. More Word Balloon 101 as we continue in back-to-school season. And I hope you'll join us for all the great episodes to come. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2018.